It's Tuesday, November 27th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, I'm grateful to be here with my pastor, uh, Matt Mason, who is the pastor, the senior pastor at the church at Brook Hills. And uh, Matt has been senior pastor at Brook Hills for over three years now. And before that, uh, led our worship ministry Mm. at Brook Hills. And uh, he also serves on our pastoral advisory board. And so he does just a great job with our national board, theologically leading them, being a compass. And, you know, one of the things I really wanted to talk about, because Brook Hills has been a church that has been so theologically sound, Mm. but also so gospel-driven, justice issues have been core. And a lot of times I, I think churches worry that good theology and doctrine can't match up with Mm -hmm. good gospel-centered justice Mm -hmm. causes. Mm -hmm. And Brook Hills is a church that has done that well and under your leadership has not only continued to thrive in that, but also has has really uh, communicated a lot more about gospel-centered justice Mm -hmm. uh, from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And so, brother, I just, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the importance of pastors and of churches setting aside time to specifically talk about Mm gospel-driven justice. So first, just define what that means to you, that gospel-centered justice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, justice, it's a huge category in in the Bible. Um, and you see, even throughout the Old Testament in particular, uh, the language of justice is used multiple times to talk about treating people with equality. Uh, so, for example, a lot of the times when God gets on the case of his people mm-hmm. and calls them to task, he's not so much addressing their unrighteousness and their if you will, their vertical relationship with him. He's not, he's not telling them you're not, um, your quiet times aren't long enough. He's, mm-hmm. he's usually telling them you've treated the poor um, unfairly mm-hmm. and, and you're taking bribes in court mm-hmm. and you've ignored the plight of those who are afflicted. So uh, really sins of commission and sins of omission. So you've added burden to those who are already afflicted or by way of omission, mm-hmm. you've failed to throw your shoulder under the burden of those who are afflicted. So it's a huge category mm-hmm. throughout the Old Testament. The prophets talk about it all the time. And so, you know, even conceptually, you have the, uh, the so-called quartet of the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So the, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the poor. And, uh, and many of those groups of people in the Old Testament, they lived at a, a subsistence level. And so an unfavorable verdict in the court could mean the difference between life and death Mm. for some of them. And so they needed a just verdict in the court. And so I don't think that means for us in the 21st century that the only four categories for speaking into justice are the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the poor. I I think any group of people that is experiencing oppression, Mm. any group of people that is systematically marginalized in a given society, that becomes an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to, uh, to let the gospel and the kingdom shine through, to mm-hmm. show what is the nature of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and how can we display that to the disenfranchised and the marginalized. So I think wherever, even through church history, wherever the church has existed, you see them taking a keen interest mm-hmm. in those who have been shoved aside by the world or overlooked by the world. And so I think when we're talking about 
biblical justice, gospel justice, we're referring to a, a whole spectrum of um, words and actions that have to do with um, dignifying image bearers, mm. with valuing life, mm. with, uh, with helping those who are under a heavy burden, with promoting reconciliation. So I think there's just a multiple classes of issues that come right underneath mm. that such that biblical truth is meant to drive God's people to put mm. their feet on the ground and make a difference mm. and show the ethics of the kingdom. Mm. Yeah, I love what you said, too, and even you started this out, that it's not that our quiet times aren't long enough, yeah. it's that we're not showing justice. Yeah. And yeah. partially it's because the intimacy with God is not there. Right. We're, we're spending time maybe reading the Bible to, to have knowledge, mm -hmm. but not to apply right. what God is teaching us and yes. what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I often say if we're a Christ follower, then when we look at what Christ, how Christ was when he walked, he had empathy upon the poor, yes. the blind, the wretched, the marginalized. Right. And he was drawn to action. The Holy Spirit gives us that empathy and that compassion. Totally that drives us to action. And, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated and, you know, in your time as senior pastor at Brook Hills, there's been a, a whole lot of issues about marginalization, particularly between races and a mm -hmm. lot of, of hard things that have happened. And I've, I've loved that you've not been shy to address those to the church, to talk about, especially to predominantly white church, mm -hmm. we have a responsibility for reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So why, not only, like you said, the quartet, but all those that are marginalized, why do you think it's so important in the American church that we set specifically time to teach, to talk, and to go to scripture on these things? Yeah. Um, I think the church has a challenge in every culture because the church can very easily reflect the ambient cultural values in which it lives. So that's why we're, we're called to be, to, to borrow from Tim Keller, he talks about being a city within the city, being a, a kingdom citizenship that shows, for example, unbelieving Birmingham, what, what Birmingham would look like under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so uh, a Christian community that mirrors the racial animosity of the culture that they live in that's prevalent in the culture when that christian community mirrors that um evil in the society we fail to be a primary thing that jesus calls us to mm. be which is salt and light mm. which is something different and so we should stand out we should be distinctive from the world i think that's why you see even biblically the apostle paul in in first corinthians 6 and he's naming all these things that were that are such part and parcel of being corinthian mm -hmm. and not submitted to jesus mm -hmm. as lord and he lists those things and he says such were some of you but you were washed so mm -hmm. uh, so it's paul apostolically saying the gospel expects something different mm -hmm. of you now that you wear the name and the spirit of god has filled you um it's it's time for a new Corinth. It's time for a new, uh, a new light. And so I think w it, that that leads to all manner of ineffectiveness in our mission, mm. in our ability to witness to a lost and dying world. We're not able to offer hope. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we fail to show the power of the cross mm. to to destroy racism. So you even see in scripture so many different places, like Ephesians chapter two, 
where Paul is saying the wall between Jew and Gentile has been torn down by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so insofar as Christians in Ephesus in the first century were building that wall back up, essentially they were insulting the work of Jesus in his perfect finished work on the cross. So I think it's it's hugely important for the church to lean into displaying the values of the kingdom. And I'd say it's really important also, if for no other reason, then the church is meant to reflect the character of God to the world. And so if so then that begs the question, what is God like? Mm -hmm. And then you read the Bible, and it's his self-disclosure of what he's like. And in the Bible, he calls himself a father to the fatherless and a defender of the vulnerable. And so if we as his people, as his church, don't take a keen interest in the fatherless mm -hmm. and in the vulnerable, we are, we are we're preaching blasphemy about mm -hmm. God. Right. We're, we're distorting the character of God and saying to the world, this is what God is like. And God's like, that's not what I'm like. You're supposed to be reflecting my character. Here's what I'm about. Here's what I'm interested in. So I think it's hugely important for the church, as the church, to be faithful to him. Mm. Um, because, look, if we're not faithful to that, apart from the missional strategy, um, we're robbing God of glory mm. when we fail to reflect his character. So we do it, first of all, because it brings glory to God. But we also do it because we want to reflect his character. We want to shine like lights, and we want to see people enter into his kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. Amen. Yeah. Well, and I think of, like you talked about, the wall of hostility that's mm -hmm. been broken down by the cross of Christ. Yeah. You know, sin really does cause us to go into cliques. Yeah. Be that cultural cliques or people that look like us or share the same dynamics that we do. Yeah. I was in India several weeks ago, and one of the things that is still alive in India is the caste system. Mm -hmm. And as much as the government wants to say it's not a part of everyday life, mm -hmm. every decision that is made is looked at the caste system. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was asking a, a friend, a pastor, just how can you even tell? And they know just by looking what wow. caste you're yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of times in America we make this a... Uh, you know, an epidermis type of thing, skin mm -hmm. color. But a lot of times what we see is that sin causes us to mark people as different. Yes. And we mark the poor and the disenfranchised as different. Yes. And it yes. becomes inconvenient for us to reach outside of what is very much alike or symmetrical for us. Mm -hmm. um, but the gospel, like you said, it totally tears that down. Yeah. And it gives us such an opportunity to proclaim good and right doctrine mm -hmm. when we're caring for the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Yeah. You know, even in India, I was in an orphanage, and every child in that orphanage had been marked as a Hindu right there between their, their two eyes, except for this one child. And when I asked why this child hadn't been marked, the answer was, well, this child is deaf and dumb. And they're not worthy to be mm. a Hindu. Mm. And so we have a God even mm -hmm. that creates all life in his image mm. and believes that all life is sacred. So when we care for the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the orphan, the widow, we're showing that we've been marked by the gospel Yes, of indeed. That's a good word. And so obviously at Brook Hills, it's become a part of this message. Talk a little bit about just how a church can implement that and how Brook Hills is implemented bringing in this gospel-centered justice as part of the proclaimed word and mission yeah. of the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, I mean, I think, one, I'll just say this was, by God's grace, this has been in the DNA of Brook Hills for many years. Mm -hmm. This, um, 
and and I was swept up into the current personally. So I could tell you just person my own testimony of being involved in church life in a informal official pastoral roles from 1996 until 2012 when I moved here to Birmingham um, I didn't preach a single sermon on gospel justice that I'm aware of or really even think about it during sermon preparation it wasn't really a grid through which I read the Bible Mm -hmm. it was a honestly it was just a blind spot largely a blind spot in my life and then coming here and hearing our prayers and hearing stories and going to Lifeline events and seeing members of our congregation up there sometimes sharing stories of what God was doing in their own lives and adoption journey and foster care journey. And suddenly I'm feeling the current underneath my feet starting to pull me. And next thing you know, uh, I'm just, I'm seeing new things in scripture. Mm. I'm reading the Bible and finding out it's not just this classic text and that classic text. It's all over God's word. So I think some of that has been from my own personal experience at Brook Hills, by God's grace, I think there has been a culture Mm. of care for the marginalized and for the vulnerable. And, And it comes up in so many different ways, whether it's a Brook Hills stories night and there's a story from someone who's in a rap family or involved in foster care, um, or whether it's a time of, like right now, um, we have prayer of intercession time right there in the middle of our worship gathering. And we'll, we're hoping that over time, ministries like Lifeline and Alabama Baptist Children's Home and Compassion become household names mm. such that you can't be at our gatherings for months at a time without hearing one of those familiar mm. names or, or hearing about adoption stories mm. and so forth. So I, I think some of it is culture and, uh, and some of it has been um, aided by, I think, I might, I might think of preaching as on these issues in terms of two metaphors. So, so a bucket and a sprinkler. And mm. I think there are good opportunities to just dump a bucket in, in almost like the name of the sermon is gospel justice. The mm. name of the sermon has the word adoption in it. Mm. That's kind of bucket. You just inundate the body and you see some primary theme in the Bible. I think it it shouldn't just be that. I think it shouldn't be three buckets a year mm-hmm. dumped over the church and then you forget about it. I think you should there should be some sprinkler where the whole yard gets wet because drops are falling constantly mm-hmm. and it just keeps coming back and forth and, and eventually all the grass will get wet. It's just going to mm-hmm. take some time. So I think of you know for example these past few years um and I think through sermon preparation. These are just books of the Bible we've studied through. We studied through Acts was the first book of the Bible that I took Brook Hills through after becoming senior pastor, which means we're going to come to Acts 3, where the gospel message is accompanied by gospel compassion Mm. to the needy and the hurting. And then you're going to come to Acts chapter 6, where they're putting a new structure in place that hadn't existed before. And the reason they're putting deacons in place is to make sure the widows, there are funds in the church Mm -hmm. to take care of the widows, but there's nobody who's been overseeing those funds and making sure it gets to the needy places Mm -hmm. where it needs to go. So that's why Act 6 decisions were made. So you're just going to come in a sprinkler kind of way, and you're just going to see that stuff. And hopefully the people are picking it up. And then we come over and we study through the book of Mark. And you're going to come in Mark to, to Mark chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about the permanency of marriage and the beauty of marriage. But he's talking to that about guys who, with guys who have a very cheap understanding of mm. marriage. And he's going to inform that. And he's going to inform his, his talk about marriage against the dark backdrop 
of abuse, mm. domestic abuse in Deuteronomy chapter 24, where, where these husbands were treating their wives like chattel. It was like they were personal property mm. and cheap personal property at that. And Jesus was just, um, yeah, just a shot across mm. the bow. So you're going to hit that in Mark. And then we, we, studied, we had a Life Together series where we walked through First Timothy. And you're going to come to, just in a sprinkler kind of way, you're going to come to First Timothy 5, where Paul is saying, hey, um, there are widows among you. We need to get them on a list. We need to know exactly who they are and where they live. And then we also need to just, he even speaks very specifically and practically. And he says, look, if you're a believing adult who's of a working age and one of your parents is needy or she's a widow, don't wait for the faith family uh, fund. Mm-hmm. to do that that's on you you're you're a son or a daughter of that needy parent they're not of a working age you're of a working age so don't wait for the church check mm-hmm. you write it mm-hmm. from your own account mm-hmm. so in all of that you can just see uh by just moving through books of the bible mm-hmm. and teaching through this or that but you're going to come to places where the sprinkler is just throwing water across the entire body i think having said that it's good to have bucket sundays right and um Sundays where no one's going to miss the point because it's the name of the sermon, right? So, so we've had some of those. You, matter of fact, you brought one of those, The God Who Seeks the Outcast, just a few months ago at Brook Hills. I think those are great moments because the church sees it at the top of the notes. This is the name of it, and there's no way they're going to miss it. So as we kind of even think about rounding our time out, I know there's pastors that are listening to this, and obviously you're speaking to them. But there's also lay folks mm-hmm. that are listening to this, mm-hmm. and Maybe they've adopted or mm-hmm. maybe they're passionate about ministry to the homeless or to the mm-hmm. poor and to the needy. And, and you even admitted before you came to Brook Kills, there weren't a lot of Sundays that you really exactly. preached on gospel-centered justice. Mm-hmm. And they're dying for their pastor mm-hmm. to even sprinkle just mm-hmm. a little That's bit right. of yep. that. Yeah, They want to be humble. They want to be loving. And they want to be trusting in their leaders. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage that lay person mm-hmm. to to, to encourage their church to speak out more and get more engaged with gospel-centered justice mm-hmm, issues? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think, I think some of that is looking for opportunities to share the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been individuals in our faith family who will sometimes they might send me an email or send one of our pastors an email and just say, um, I would love prayer in this season of my life. Here's what I'm walking through. Could I just come in and kind of share some of my story and, mm-hmm. and get some biblical counsel and, and wisdom? And what that becomes is more than just a one-hour or two-hour meeting. It becomes a means by which the elders have our ear to the ground mm-hmm. of what are our people needing to hear from God's Word. Mm-hmm. And so it's informing more than, than just that meeting moment. Mm-hmm. And it, so, for example, when I think back, um, in, in my church setting, there was a, there was a family um, that I was aware of that was involved in both adoption as well as got into foster care um, journey. And, um, and I, I look back, once I got to Brook Hills, I wrote a note to them and said, I am so sorry I didn't hear you. And so I, I think it's important mm-hmm. for the, the, the pastors to hear the flock. And so if there's, if there's um, I think there are gentle ways and gracious ways for a member of the, the church to say, we could use a bucket mm. to be dumped over us in this area because we're up to our eyeballs mm. and we know God's word addresses this. 
and we don't think that we're alone. Other people are walking through this with us as well. And so if there's any time in the church calendar next year for you to just dump mm. some biblical truth on us in this area and look for ways to encourage us, mm. I think it would resonate with, with many of, of the people of this congregation. And I think any pastor worth his salt, mm. any pastor who cares for the flock that's among you mm. is listening when mm. that happens and wants to run to the aid and find ways to be extra intentional. And maybe, maybe the pastor will discover that um, he hasn't been super intentional. And so, um, yeah, so I'd even say to pastors, one thing that I started doing a few years ago is I have a document called Sermon Central. Mm. And it has the, not only the name of the, of the sermon and the text of the sermon, but it also has all the application points and pastoral themes that were hit in a given sermon mm. and all the illustrations that were used in a given sermon so that at the end of a month, I can look back and see how many times are these, one, am I riding a hobby horse and not preaching the whole counsel of God? And two, how was this year mm. um, in terms of did the, did the sprinkler mm. hit a, a whole spectrum of issues of how we live as gospel people in the world? Mm. So I think that, that provides a kind of objective measurement um, whereby I, I can't necessarily just look back and justify myself. Like there's a story in the numbers. There are statistics there that tell me mm. what I've missed. Right. And sometimes I will notice, oh, goodness, how has it been three months or six months? Or how has it been all year since I've mentioned this? Mm. Uh, I got to I gotta look for ways to get at that. Yeah. yeah. What a... What a great opportunity, but also, as we know, even the Word of God says, what a huge responsibility to shepherd the flock. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we need to be praying for our pastors as well. That's a good word. You know, yeah. I think a lot of times we, we want them to do more, mm-hmm. but there's so many things I know that hit our yeah. pastors and mm-hmm. our shepherds and our overseers. And it's not just sermon prep, and it's yeah. not just worship prep, mm-hmm. but it's the it's the hurt and the pain that's that is right. any body of Christ that's mm-hmm. there, that's real. Um our, our pastors are called to shepherd, not just to preach. Yeah. Uh, but we also want to make sure that part of shepherding is to preach, but to also make sure, like you said, we're, we're preaching the full counsel of God yeah. and making sure that, that we are preaching from the Bible yeah. and expositionally. Well, yeah. uh, brother, I appreciate you and all that you do, not only for Lifeline, but in our community. Mm. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, would you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the father.